Hi again, everybody. I'm Dan Horde, and thanks for downloading the Bengals Booth Podcast. The ain't it something, ain't it something, ain't it something how the way things go. Addition, as the Bengals were seemingly on the verge of one of the greatest comebacks in team history before losing to the Chargers 41-22. to Coming up, you'll hear radio replays, post-game comments from players and coaches, and analysis from my broadcast partner, Dave Lapham. Then, in this week's Fun Fact segment, you'll get to know the only Samaje in NFL history, Bengals running back Samaje Pirine. The Bengals Booth Podcast is presented by Ultimate Bengals, the free-to-play next-level fantasy football game. Downloaded now from the App Store and Google Play, and here's a quick reminder that you can have the latest edition of this podcast delivered right to your phone, tablet, or computer by subscribing wherever you get your podcasts. It's the greatest thing since sneakers with suits. If you watch the NFL Network or football shows on ESPN, you'll notice that most of the analysts wear sneakers with their suits. Not too long ago, that would have been considered a total fashion faux pas, but not anymore. Now it looks cool and youthful. Take it from somebody who is neither. Now, let's get to Sunday's game. The first 19 minutes and 48 seconds were a complete and total disaster. They are going for it on fourth and goal from the four. It's not at the one, it's at the four. Receiver goes in jet motion. Herbert catches the ball. He's back to throw. He's looking left, looks over the middle, throws over the middle, and it is caught in the end zone by Keenan Allen. Pretty well covered on the play, and Herbert just delivered a perfect strike for the touchdown. Burrow with a play-action fake and a deep drop. Uh He gets hit from behind. The ball is knocked out of Joe Burrow's hands, and the Chargers begin celebrating, and they recover it at the Cincinnati 30. Burrow will look to pass from the pocket. Fires deep downfield for Chase. Makes the catch on the run. The ball comes out and goes right to the Chargers for an interception. Michael Davis winds up with the ball as Chase dropped a perfectly thrown deep ball by Joe Burrow as he was trying to streak toward the end zone. He just dropped it right to the guy trailing him. Second down and four at the Cincinnati eight. Herbert in the gun. A receiver goes in jet motion. Herbert throws into the end zone. And the Bengals didn't even cover Keenan Allen. Wide open. Herbert catches a shotgun snap. Fakes a handoff. Rolls out to the right. Wants to throw it deep. He will. Firing it all the way toward the the end zone. It is a fight for the ball. A penalty flag down. It is caught for the touchdown. Jalen Guyton hauling in the 45-yard strike from Justin Herbert. He beat Jesse Bates in the wrestling match for the football, and Herbert already has three completions of 40-plus in the first half. Herbert in the gun, Eckler to his right. They're going to flip it back to Allen, who throws to Herbert, and he makes the catch on the Philly special for the two-point conversion. Boy, oh boy. Tell you what, Chargers look like they're dominant football team today in every phase offense defense special teams is clicking in summation the Bengals turned it over on their first two drives and the Chargers scored on four of their first five possessions it was 24 nothing Los Angeles with more than 10 minutes left in the half the biggest come from behind victories in Bengals history are from 21 point deficits in 1981 and 1995 they have never rallied from 24 down but they almost did it on Sunday. Clock running, 7.46 left in the second quarter. Burrow drops back to throw. Flings it deep downfield for Higgins into the end zone. He 
he's yeah. got it. Touchdown, Bengals. Burrow to Higgins as T used his height and his wingspan to haul it in. The Bengals lined up to go for two before calling a timeout. After the timeout, they got called for a delay of game penalty. And following the penalty, Evan McPherson missed the extra long, extra point. Here's Zach Taylor. Horrific by me. Horrific. Horrific. Um, you know, we, we were going for two, and so we were a little slow making sure we had the right personnel grouping on the field. Um, where I made that mistake, so then we called timeout, put the ball in a hash, um, waiting to see what personnel they were in, and then, and then I, I called the play backwards, so I'm trying to correct it at the last second, and we end up taking the delay game. So it, just horrific management of a situation by me twice, coming out of a timeout and then having to take a delay game, and then, and then we missed the extra point on top of that. So um, that, was, that was all on me. I don't know about you, but I appreciate a coach explaining his own mistake in that much detail, and it wasn't a backbreaker. Jermaine Pratt forced a fumble on the Chargers' next drive, and it was returned to the L.A. 19-yard line by Jesse Bates. Three plays later, the deficit was down to 11. Second and goal from the six. Burrow will look to pass. Looking, running. Get Burrow Get running up Joe. the middle of the field, yeah. and he will go into the end zone, standing up. Touchdown, Bengals, as Burrow scores his second rushing touchdown in as many weeks. That made it 24-13, but following the touchdown, Burrow came to the sideline shaking his right hand. As it turned out, he had dislocated the little finger on his throwing hand way back on the Bengals' fifth play of the game when he was hit from behind by Ochenna Nuosu. I don't, I don't think I really noticed what happened at the beginning. I think my drone was pumping a little too much, and then as it went along, you know, it got progressively worse a little bit, but, um, you know, I was able to play through it. And that's a testament to his toughness. The medical staff tried to tape it, Burrow tried to wear a glove, and ultimately, he just played through the pain. You know, it was the decision of make it feel better or continue to be able to somewhat throw the ball. So I decided to be able to throw the ball. As for next week? That's uh, just something I'm going to have to deal with. I'm not going to miss any games because of it. That's not not something that's going to happen. I mean, unless it somehow gets worse, which I don't can't imagine it's going to get worse, then I'll be playing next week. feel like you had your zip on the wall? Um, I felt like I, I was able to, you know, compensate for what was lost. Um, probably not as much zip as I normally have, but... I don't I think I was still able to to throw the ball effectively. After trailing 24-13 at the half, the Bengals kicked a field goal on their opening drive of the third quarter to pull within 8. Then, Mike Hilton forced a fumble that was recovered by Trey Hendrickson at the Chargers 32. Cincinnati was a touchdown and a two-point conversion away from tying the game. Burrow catches the shotgun snap, hands to Mixon. Joe fights yeah. through a hole yeah. and runs it into the there end zone. Go. Touchdown, Bengals. Mixon doing an end zone dance with his teammates, and the Bengals are a two-point conversion away from erasing a 24-point deficit. And I'll tell you what, said about the inside, the Bengals' offensive line starting to affect them inside. Keep pounding, pounding away at the inside, and eventually they'll crack. The ball was placed at the two-yard line, and the Chargers had 12 men on the field, moving the ball to the one for the two-point conversion try. Burrow hands it to Mixon, jump cut, charges forward, uh, fighting, struggling, nope. and stopped. He did not get in. So it was 24-22, midway through the third quarter. The Bengals had blown a chance to tie it, 
but would get a couple of chances to take the lead. The defense forced the Chargers to punt on back-to-back possessions, and with 14 minutes left in the game, it looked like the Bengals were going to take the lead. The Bengals are within the field goal range of Evan McPherson, trailing by two points early fourth quarter. Burrow hands it to Mixon again. Oh, he loses no. the football. Oh, it's scooped no. up by the Chargers. This is going to be a touchdown run back by Tavon Campbell. Oh, no. Man. The Bengals were on the verge of taking the lead. Mixon fumbles the ball. Campbell scooped it up. Nobody had a prayer of bringing him down. Former Bengal Christian Covington got credit for forcing the fumble, but on the replay, it looked like Mixon just lost the ball as he tried to cut to his right. That don't happen usually. So, I mean, I got to go back to, you know, get back in the lab with, you know, taking care of the football. And, um, learning how to shift and do little certain things because those little things like that is what get you beat. It was a um, turnover that kind of, you know, shifted the momentum. And, uh, you know, I'll take full responsibility for that because at the end of the day, no matter what the play was, that, don't, that shouldn't happen. And, um, you know, I'll take full responsibility on it. The extra point gave the Chargers a nine-point lead and Burrow and the Bengals never got closer. No, I was proud of our fight. And we had the ball in plus territory with a chance to take the lead. And you know, we had another turnover, but and we fought back. It's, you know, there's not any moral victories, but uh, we put ourselves in a position to win that game. Joe threw an end zone interception in the fourth quarter, and the Chargers added 10 points to make the final score 41-22. to Zach Taylor and Joe Mixon wrap up a disappointing day in the jungle. Sloppy game all the way around by us. You know, to get in the hole the way that we did, um, with the turnovers, the explosive plays, the opening kickoff, going back to the, the plus 48, um, things that I did that, that certainly were unacceptable. So, again, just we didn't deserve to win today. They did. It's a good football team. When you put that performance out there, uh, that's what's going to happen. A lot of guys basically got banged up today, and, you know, I'm just proud of the way that everybody fought all four quarters. And, um, you know, just shows you that it ain't no fighting the team. You got to keep on going. I mean, the best thing that we got or the best thing that we have going right now is that uh, we get to live to fight another day. So we just got to come ready next week. We got to prepare for San Francisco and um, just got to come back and get ready for another dogfight. Despite the loss, the Bengals are still the final playoff team in the AFC with five games to go. And since the Steelers beat the Ravens on Sunday, Cincinnati is a game behind Baltimore for first place in the AFC North, a half game ahead of the Steelers and a game ahead of the Cleveland Browns. As Joe Mixon mentioned, a home game against the 49ers is next. San Francisco is 6-6 six and, six and saw a three-game winning streak come to an end on Sunday with a seven-point loss in Seattle. Now, time for post-game analysis with my broadcast partner, Dave Lapham. Wild game lap, the Chargers beating the Bengals 41-22. to The Bengals almost rallying from 24 down. They made it 24-22. They had a two-point conversion to tie, got stopped from the one-yard line. They had two possessions after that, drove within field goal range, and then a 61-yard return of a Joe Mixon fumble seemed to be the play that swung everything back in the Chargers' direction. Absolutely. That was the... That was the dagger, you know, it was the Bengals were getting in McPherson if they weren't already in McPherson field goal range. So that's a minimum of a 10-point swing, maybe 14. And, um, you know, that, that, was a, that was a tough, tough blow. But during the course of the game, I thought that um, explosives allowed by the defense 
and turnovers by the offense were the story because the Bengals' defense responded with some takeaways. Mm-hmm. But you have four giveaways. It's tough to beat, you know, teams in the National Football League when you're hurting yourself like that. It's like, man, they're like we talked about a few times. These teams are good enough to beat you on their own. You don't need to help them. And when you help them, it's 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 hard to overcome your own, uh, you know, mistakes and penalties and turnovers and things like that. You just have to play a, a cleaner football game against a team like this that has that kind of talent. Especially when a couple of the turnovers are not forced. So Jamar Chase could add a 71-yard touchdown. Instead, he juggles a perfect throw. That becomes an interception. That's almost like the 99-yard pick six against the Steelers where you think you're going to score and the other team winds up with the ball. Um, and then Burrow's last interception, I know he's trying to make a play down by two scores, but that's just throwing it to the other team in the end zone instead of living for another play. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that that was uh, the final blow, I guess, the final nail in the coffin for the Chargers was, was that interception. Um, but, but you're right. I mean, Jamar Chase at training camp had some issues catching the football. Now all of a sudden here in the last, uh, you know, few quarters of football, he's had some issues in terms of, looking the ball in and, and catching the football. So you don't want to get a reputation as a streaky player because if you're a quarterback, you don't know what you're going to get when you put the ball in the air. If you're like throwing it and then crossing your fingers that a play is going to be made because Joe Burrow couldn't have thrown the ball any better than he did on that play. I mean, that, that was a beautiful throw. And, um, you know, Jamar had it and bobbled it around and swatted it over his shoulder with one of his hands. And it, it was crazy. It was it, it, that, that, kind of a, that kind of a turnover – I haven't seen unfold that way in quite a while. I mean, defensive player didn't have to do anything, didn't have to reach in there, strip it, rip at it. It just just ended up right in front of his face. It was a weird play and could have been a huge momentum builder because with the acceleration and speed that Chase has, no doubt in my mind that, that I think he scores on that play. Burrow got sacked a bunch. Mixon averaged 2.8 yards per carry. Is that because of the changes on the offensive line today? That's a that's a good question. I mean, you know, I asking uh, you know, asking guys in the locker room after the game, did they do anything that you guys did not see them do from a defensive configuration standpoint? Because they are pretty clever in the way that uh, they use different personnel groupings and, and they and they use different uh, uh, for, formation alignments sometimes. You know, to to uh, break break some of your tendencies and some of your blocking patterns that you have a real comfort level with. It didn't seem to be the case. I mean, I think it just was uh, they just played so poorly at the beginning of the football game that uh, they had to probably change their mind a little bit in what they were doing offensively. But I, I didn't think that they abandoned the running game necessarily. They just never got it going. They just never got the game, the, the run game executed. And, uh, you know, I think, they, I think they had to make some adjustments, though. I could tell Frank on the sideline was – you know, trying to get some things done. That grease board was was being drawn on and erased and drawn on and erased, and they were they were trying to get some some things done. And I think some of the adjustments worked out a little bit better as the game went on. But I'm telling you, you just in in this league, as we always say, from one week to the next, you just never know. Um, teams do th- things a different way. They attack a different way, and the defenses line up to uh, to attack that attack a different way. This game is so unbelievable. Adjustments and adjustments to adjustments and adjustments at halftime to adjustments, and it just continues through the through the entire football game. 
Are you reasonably confident, based on the way he finished the game, that Burrow's pinky finger on his right hand is not going to be a big problem? Yeah, I asked Zach about injuries, you know, after the game. And, of course, you know, he says no update at this point in time. But I, I, would, I would hope and think that, um, you know, the big, the big deal is going to be how much swelling does he get tomorrow? You know, sometimes those kind of injuries, you know, I've had injuries before where it's like, yeah, I don't think it's that bad. And go and ice it and, and then go to bed and overnight blows up like a balloon, you know, and now you got to get all that swelling out. And so it'll be interesting. I think I think the next 24 hours are going to be, you know, very interesting to determine what kind of impact it's going to have on him next week. And, you know, hopefully not any more than next week, but um, they didn't. They did not do anything like rush him in to get x-rays or anything like that. So I don't think they're looking at any fractures or anything of that nature. I think it's just bruising, and with bruising comes swelling, and that's the big question in my mind. How much swelling will there be in that in those joints? Zach Taylor seemed more frustrated than usual after a Bengals loss. I don't know if I'm you know, 100% certain of that, but that's the vibe that he gave off in the news conference room. I'm sure the four turnovers had something to do with that. He also seemed angry with himself for some of the Bengals' clock management in this game. And then I wonder, big picture, tough schedule going forward, home game against the Chargers, a team that's obviously got some talent but still was a game over 500 if he felt like a really good opportunity slipped away. Yeah, I think that's the the, the big part of it. I think everything kind of boils to that where it's like, you know, if we had taken care of business here with an 8-4 and four record um, against a, another conference opponent, uh, would have put ourselves in, in pretty good shape. Now, you know, you've you've instead of stepping ahead of the pack, you've stepped back to the pack, and now you're – uh, you know, amongst a whole you know plethora of other teams that you wanted to try to start to separate from. So I think I think that's the frustration. I and I think it's frustration that not just a phase didn't play up to snuff. Everything was not up to snuff. Players, coaches, special teams, offense as a unit, defense as a unit. Nobody can say I played winning football. I don't think any group can. And that's the frustrating thing is, you know. Even when you're going through something like that, to be at 24-22 after, it's tough being spotting a team, a good team in the NFL, 24 points, and thinking, you know, yeah, we're still in this. And they they felt that way, and they came back to a point where, I mean, they were threatening to take a legitimate lead. Mm -hmm. And and then they spit the bit again. So it's just that, you know, you, you put yourself behind the eight ball by putting yourself on your schedule in all three phases, and then you start to right the ship a little bit, and then you just say, ah, you know, it wasn't meant to be today. We're just going to make all these self-destruction moves again. That's the frustration, I think, is that, um, you know, they just never really gave themselves uh, a, a chance other than that little spurt of momentum. They scored 22 points in 14 minutes and 39 seconds. I mean, it's not like this this uh, this football team is, is doesn't have talent offensively, but you can't give it away four times. You can't You can't give four possessions away like that against anybody. The Bengals have had good luck where injuries are concerned this year. Obviously, Trey Waynes has been out. Joseph Osai got hurt in the first preseason game. But now, as is inevitably the case in the NFL, they're starting to add up. They didn't have Hopkins or Reef on the offensive line. Darius Phillips missed the game. During the game, Burrow hurts his pinky finger. Marcus Bailey went out with a shoulder injury. Logan Wilson went out with a shoulder injury. Chidabay Awuja went out with a foot injury. Of all of these injuries, which one gives you the most concern? Boy, that's a good question. You know, I, I think that uh, 
the one that, the one that I'm concerned might be the longest in terms of um, damage done is Logan Wilson's shoulder. I just have a feeling, you know, it's very rare for a shoulder injury to cause a cart to take you off the field. So, you know, was there some sort of a dislocation, a major separation, and things like that? If that's the case, we're not looking at just a few days. We're looking at a significant amount of time. So I, I think he's an impactful guy, you know, a playmaker type individual for the for the defensive football team. You know, it seems like a lot of the other injuries, I think, are a shorter, you know, potential time frame. Um, I, I think, honestly, and I'm not saying that they, were, they felt like, oh, we have this game anyway, but in my mind, the two offensive linemen that sat today, uh, Trey Hopkins and Riley Reef, I think it was just to make sure that, okay, they're close. Let's not go out there and exacerbate it and make it a couple more weeks. Let's just make sure, give it a few more days. Now that it feels decent, give it another few days where you don't have to play again for you know over a week. Uh, if we if we are smart with this, and you should be able to finish the season, I think that's the move they made with those two guys. I'd be shocked if they don't play against San Francisco, but. It would have been nice to have him today as well, but you can't have your cake and eat it too. You know, once you make a decision, you can't look back on it, and you just have to uh, decide that, that that was the best decision to make, and, and, and we'll move on from there. But, man, Awuzie is playing so well. That one too. I mean, if, if he's got a – sometimes a foot injury is is brutal because there's so many little bones and tendons and ligaments and stuff in a foot, and, and that's uh, – you know, ask Bill Walton. I mean, Bill Walton's career – because of foot injuries, just he never really had any kind of career he could have had at the next level. And he's a big, huge guy. It's like a tower with a cracked foundation. But a guy like Awuzier that has to plant and cut and explode, and when you have foot foot damage, I hope that's not significant. You know, I hope it's just like a foot sprain and there's no, like, displacement of bones or, you know, like a, a ligament t- snapping over a tendon or whatever the, those things that can happen in a, with a foot. I, I, I remember the, the, the most – brutal injury <laughs> that I had is you you have these these bones under the ball of your foot and so you can have none or you can have one or you can have two well I had two under the ball of my foot and I cracked one of them right in half and man I mean it, it's brutal because it, everything you do is right there at the point so if it's depending on where it is in his foot and everything he has to do around it that one I guess concerns me a little bit too but you know hopefully the others are just treatment rest and come back and play. For more on Sunday's game, join Lap and Lance McAllister for Bengals Line Monday night from 6 to 9 on 700 WLW. The Bengals Booth Podcast is presented by Ultimate Bengals, the free-to-play fantasy football game. Ultimate Bengals will be awarding a weekly winner during the course of the season with tickets, autograph merchandise, and money-can't-buy experiences all up for grabs. Find Ultimate Bengals in the app stores now. Now time for this week's Fun Facts segment, where you get to know the person under the pads. Time for some fun facts with running back Samaje Pirine, born and raised in Alabama before moving to Texas and attending high school there. Where did you spend most of your childhood, and what were some of the things you enjoyed doing as a kid? I'd say early childhood I split when my mom moved to Texas. I split uh, a lot of my time between Texas and Alabama, and uh, when I was in Alabama, it was outside in the woods, hmm. and uh, when I was in Texas, it was, uh, you know, outside in the street, you know, playing football or basketball or, you know, whatever I can get my hands on. You are the only Samaje in NFL history. Is there a story or a meaning behind your first name? <laughs> 
Um, the story is not as glamorous as people may seem. Uh, my grandfather's name is Samuel, and I have uh, uncle's name Samuel. And my mom, she wanted the Sam, but not Samuel. So uh, she just came up with Samaje instead. So. Was it frequently mispronounced when you were a kid? And if so, was that annoying? Oh, yeah, it still is mispronounced <laughs> today. Um, not so much annoying. Uh, I mean, I find it kind of funny, you know, to hear people. My first and my last name, actually. Um, you know, I've heard some off-the-wall things, but uh, it's a fun little game for me to see if people actually get it right. <laughs> and if they do, you know, kudos to them. But if not, then I don't, I don't hold any grudges. We're doing fun facts with Samaj P. Ryan. I've read several stories about your weightlifting exploits as a kid. How and when did you get started? I think I got started freshman, sophomore year in high school. Um, I mean, Texas football, you know. <laughs> they uh, they were, especially at my high school, they were, we, uh, we got after in the weight room. And, uh, you know, I wasn't really, I had dumbbells here and there, you know, in middle school, but you know, not that much. Had like 20-pound dumbbells. I uh, duct taped some bricks on them. Um, but, you know, other than that, you know, high school is when I really got started in my uh, junior, senior year in high school is when it, it really, you know, really picked up. Like, I was strong-ish freshman, sophomore year, but junior, senior year, I got a few years under my belt. That's when it really, really ramped up for me. Let's backtrack for a second. You duct taped bricks to dumbbells. <laughs> I was just 20-pound dumbbells and um, at my uh, – my parents' house. They had some some uh, some bricks that they didn't use when they were building the house, stacked in the backyard. So I would go out and get a couple and uh, just <laughs> duct tape them onto the dumbbells. <laughs> Whatever it takes. So as legend has it, you once lifted a car to help a woman change a tire. True story or urban legend? Does a smart car count? Absolutely. It's a car. Yes. I mean, I guess you can say it's true. <laughs> all right. I want all the details. Describe lifting a smart car to help somebody change a tire. Um, it was uh, later one night, and um, I just seen She seemed like she was struggling. And um, she had the jack, but somehow the jack, like, it fell over, and it just got wedged in between, like, the car and the ground. So um, I lifted it enough to get the jack back right to for the uh, for the jack to hold the car up while we switched her tire. Tremendous story. We're talking to Samaj P. Ryan. After a great high school football career, you chose to play at Oklahoma. You were actually part of the same recruiting class as your current teammate, Joe Mixon. Why OU? And what were some of the things you enjoyed the most about your time at Oklahoma? I chose OU simply because of... Uh, the opportunities that you know that presented themselves there you know like you said I was uh I was coming in with uh with Joe Mixon and um you know they had two or three guys that were on their way out so you know the way we looked at it like we're gonna come in and you know we're playing right away because you know there's there's a big void that they you know that they need filled and we just felt like you know we could come right in and play and that was one of my biggest reasons and um and because it was close enough to home where I could get back in a decent amount of time, but far enough away where I didn't feel like, you know, my parents were in my backyard. So 
you know, that was that was fun. So, you know, just get done in practice and you're five, six hours away from home. So on an off day, you can just run home and, you know, act like nothing happened. But, uh, <laughs> but you know, as far as um, my experience there was great. You know, it's a, Norman's a great college town. It's um, It was just an extremely fun environment. You know, I didn't do much while I was there, but, you know, they – they treated us all, you know, fantastic, and it was just a great place to be. We're going to turn the clock back to 2014. On November 15th of that year, Wisconsin's Melvin Gordon set the NCAA rushing record by running for 408 yards. He broke a record that had lasted for 15 years. He got to enjoy it for one week because on November 22nd of that year, you set the record that still stands on a rainy day against Kansas, 34 carries, 427 yards and five touchdowns. What are your most vivid memories of that incredible day? Um, the most vivid moment was the week before we were on our way home. I forgot who we were playing. And um, we were all on the bus talking about uh, what Melvin had just did. And we were like, that's crazy. Like, there's no way anybody's going to touch that record. For however many years, you know, we were all going crazy for him. And then um, when our game came, it was actually delayed because of lightning. And I'd already known it was going to be a run the ball type of day. And, you know, I just went out and we ran the ball. Um, unfortunately, you know, our starting running back, he on the first drive, he went out and fumbled. Um, and that gave me the opportunity to come in midway through the first quarter. And from there, I just took my opportunities and ran with it. <laughs> I'll say. Have you ever discussed this with Melvin Gordon? Not in person, no. But uh, we messaged back and forth on Twitter. And, you know, I was like, man, my bad. It was <laughs> blame my offensive line. They made me do it. You know, I was trying to sit out and let you, you know, let you have your, your whatever. But, you know, he was he was cool about it and we got a good laugh at it. But uh, you know, no, we never we never talked about it in person, but uh, you know, it was I feel sorry for him, but you know, it was we had a we had a good little moment there. So you had runs of 33, 34, 42, 49, and 66 in that game. That's 224 yards on just five carries. <laughs> but here's the most amazing stat of all to me. You left the game with more than 12 minutes to go. You could have rushed for 500 yards. Do you think your record is going to last for a while? And do you care if it does? We both, Me and Melvin both came out with uh, a bunch of time left. So we both could have probably ran for a lot more than we did. But um, as far as how long it'll stand, I have no idea. I'm semi-surprised it hadn't been beaten, you know, with these crazy offenses nowadays and crazy numbers that people are putting up. But um, I don't really, don't really care much about, you know, how long it lasts and will it ever be beaten. I mean, I hope it does. I hope someone has that great of a day. But... You know, when the day comes, it's gonna be it's gonna be great. So people can stop talking about mines. <laughs> One more question about a record: Oklahoma's had some of the greatest running backs in college football history. Heisman Trophy winner Billy Sims, Heisman Trophy winner Steve Owens, Adrian Peterson, Demarco Murray, your current teammate Joe Mixon, etc. You are the all-time leading rusher 
at Oklahoma, and you did it in only three years. Is that a big point of pride to you? Um, I didn't come in thinking, you know, when I leave Oklahoma, I want to be the this, this, and that. Uh, I mean, I just took all of my opportunities in stride, and, you know, at the end of my career there, it just so happened that, I became the uh, the all-time leading rusher. I mean, it's a great feat to have, you know, like you mentioned, all the great backs that, that have been there before me. Um, I mean, I love it. I don't hang my hat on it, though. You know, it's not something that I really boast about. It just the opportunity was there, and I took it. A few more fun facts with Samaj P. Ryan. You were drafted by Washington in 2017. Describe your draft experience. Um... Didn't want to get my hopes up about, you know, where or when I was going. I was just grateful for the opportunity to get my name called. Um, didn't care where it was called. I just needed the opportunity. And, um, you know, it was it was a fun experience to have, you know, family and friends around. And uh, to have them experience, you know, having the name called on the TV, I was cool um, with my, my wife and my mom. But uh, it was... I'm glad I got to experience it. You know, I know some guys, they uh, they have to take a harder route than me, you know, going through free agency and all of that, undrafted free agent and all of that. But, um, you know, it was was cool. And, you know, I just, I don't think I really fully grasped what was going on while I was going on. But, you know, after I got the call and talked with all of the, uh, the, uh, the reps and all of that, all of those guys and just got to sit down and realize you know out of all of the athletes in the world you know they chose me so that was that was pretty cool experience all right a few wild card questions to wrap it up Uh who is your all-time favorite athlete in any sport and why you know the crazy part about that is before I started playing football and even still to this day I don't watch sports. Hmm. Nope. Uh, outside of film and, you know, what we do here, I'm not a sports watcher. <laughs> uh, as crazy as that may be, I just never really got into into playing or into watching sports at all. Like doing it, don't love watching it. Exactly. All right. When it comes to your money, what do you like to splurge on? Oh, man. Definitely car parts my uh <laughs> my wife hates it but <laughs> anything with a car you know I have a 2010 Camaro back home that has a big engine big supercharger on it it's loud it's obnoxious hmm. and it's uh one of the faster cars that I've ever been in but uh anytime that I can work on my car my truck and that's what uh that's where most of my money goes outside of the kids <laughs> I see the twinkle in your eye. You are a car guy. Oh, I love them. Love them to death. I, uh, I'm i glad I have a job that can support my uh, my habits. But uh, when it comes to when it comes to cars, I love everything about them. Last thing. This is deep. If you could meet anybody in history, statesman, politician, actor, athlete, whoever it might be. Who would that person be? Honestly, I think it would be uh, Dr. Martin Luther King. Um, just so I can ask, like, how did you 
keep the mindset that you know we're going to be peaceful about you know whatever we go whatever we go through whatever happens we're not going to retaliate we're gonna you know we're gonna stand in solidarity like how did you keep the right mindset to continue to do that even though everyone was you know pushing against you um everyone wanted you out of the picture you know like how did you clear your mind and focus solely on that and be successful to get your point across you know this like how did you do that a great man a great leader and a great answer thank you so much for your time this was fun best of luck the rest of the year i definitely appreciate it that's going to do it for this episode of the bengals booth podcast brought to you by ultimate bengals the free-to-play next level fantasy football game downloaded now from the app store and google play And if you haven't done so already, please subscribe to this podcast. And if you have a minute, give it a rating or share a comment. That helps more Bengals fans find us. I'm Dan Horde, and thank you for listening to the Bengals Booth Podcast.